Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave podcast. I am Nick. I am uh, Duran. And we have two guests with us today, uh, Joe and Tony. Um, I'm Joe. Tony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and um, today we're going to be talking about the what year did it come out? I've 1956. Totally 1956 Nicholas Ray film, Bigger Than Life, uh, mm -hmm. about a man who gets addicted to cortisone. Indeed, he does. Yeah. All right. So, who wants to uh, start us off this time? I'll start uh, off. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, go Tony. So, I really enjoy Bigger Than Life because I kind of view it as a proto-Lynchian expose of this American nuclear family ideal of the 1950s, and uh, stylistically portrays this whole story of a man who's a good family man but depressed because of his job, getting addicted to cortisone, as Nick said strange cartoonish technicolor fashion which makes for like very strange terror because it's almost like we're watching watching what should be an ideal but there's just this very uncomfortable feeling lying under the surface yeah the mm -hmm. themes presented such as like mental illness and prescription drug abuse are extremely relevant now as they were then so mm -hmm. when people say these are new issues, you can cite this film and say, well, this has actually been kind of going on for a long time. Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, back in the 50s, um, like, housewives used to kind of overdose on sleeping pills because there's literally nothing else to do. No, that yeah. shit's a plot line in Tombstone. <laughs> um, also, a Valium and Benzos uh, were very popular with Housewives. I mean, you, Mother's Little Helper by the Rolling Stones is, you know, a song from the mid-60s about housewives taking, you know, Valium all day to get through their day, which just keeps them high as shit. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed the film. Um, I, you know, the thing that I thought when I first saw the movie, full spoilers, by the way, this is a full spoiler cast, uh, as soon as I saw that little boy, I was like, Someone's either going to kill him or he's going to threaten to be killed. <laughs> How did he know? Yeah. I just, I looked at him and I'm like, something bad is going to happen to this kid. It's funny yeah. that you mentioned that because I didn't expect that at all, especially like from like a Haze Code film. The yeah. ending really, really caught me off guard and just like the absolute mania of it. And I like, That's I like cool. how the, the house, which is like a staple of films in this uh, era, how like each individual room is separated becomes all like twisted when when the staircase breaks i thought that was really interesting yeah mm -hmm. yeah um obviously that climactic scene um where he attempts to kill his son and he's reading from the bible and he exclaims god was wrong is just absolutely shocking to see in the context of like duran said a 50s haze code film um yeah. and i th i think it's speaks to uh Nic nicholas ray's just ballsiness i mean have you mm -hmm. seen any other ray films any of you yeah johnny I've guitar seen rebel without a uh, rebel without without a yeah mm -hmm. the god was wrong scene is, is initially like i think it seems kind of funny but then if you kind of inspect it more you realize that no this is actually a very interesting uh commentary on america because it's almost like a reflection of maybe the religious right who will uh, utilize the places in the Bible where it says things very critical of other people, but when it says to, like, do good and, like, do forgive and things like that, 
yeah, Americans will kind of just ignore that. And so I, I think this is actually a very interesting line. That's true because um, throughout the film, um, the main character becomes much more conservative. And at some times, I believe that um, Truffaut actually said that um, his speech he gives at the school is kind of um, like fascistic almost. Oh, yeah. He calls childhood a congenital disease. Right. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of Truffaut, I know this film, it was a critical and commercial flop in America, probably because it was so caustic. But in France, they were obsessed with this movie. You know, the Caillé du Cinema people, Godard and, and Truffaut and all that, uh, absolutely loved it. And they loved Ray and they loved Johnny Guitar. Yeah. And um, films like this, the really like eccentric American films of the 50s, especially by Ray, are a big part of what powered the new wave. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, Johnny Guitar has been referenced in, in so many uh, films from the, from the New Wave, for sure. Um, and speaking of Godard, um, I actually found Ray's use of CinemaScope to be very, very similar to how Godard uses it in um, Contempt. Oh, since, yeah. Yeah, so, like, Ray kind of uses it um, completely, like, in interiors, which is, like, kind of unheard of because this technology is supposed to, you know... This, this huge, like, widescreen te technology is supposed to, you know, present the outdoors and show everything as super magnificent. And this goes back to what Tony said, as there's this kind of, like, uncanniness with how everything is shot. Yeah. And, um... It kind of... It almost reminded me of The Exorcist, or at least, like, you know, the first act of The Exorcist, where Reagan's just being, like, inspected over and over again by, like, scientists when he was in the hospital. I really liked the the kind of like nightmare sequence that happened when they were like trying to figure out what uh, what the perfect dose of cortisone was for him, and it was just mm -hmm. like very like freaky and weird. Right. Yeah. A, a lot of a lot of things in this film, aside from the obviously freaky shit when he's trying to kill his family, are very weird. Um, like the scenes where he's in the hospital and you know you can see his ribs and he like drinks something. You can see it go down. His uh, throat is, is, is odd. And then the scene where his uh, son is studying and there's just, you know, an extremely dark room with one light in the corner. And he walks in and he's standing over his son. And it's just like a predator looking at its prey, you know. The, the, the relationship between the son and the father is so tense in this film and so scary, you know. Absolutely. And I think the, uh, the connections to Abraham and Isaac are heightened because of the tensions between the son and the father yeah and w w when he um he's playing football with his son and i believe he tells him like uh, if you don't catch this one you don't eat lunch or you don't eat dinner or whatever it was and um that's just brutal yeah jesus when he when he when he gets the milk pitcher and is like wait a fucking minute yeah <laughs> oh, wait yeah. a goddamn second i'm like oh this this child is about to die yeah yeah and the mother is so, you know, empathetic towards the child, but also fearful of the father, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's put oh my in God. a tough position, too. I that also that... reminded me of, uh, of, of Tree of Life, the relationship between uh, the husband and the wife in that film, because the mom was very afraid of the, the wrath of the dad, but she very much wanted to protect her children. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I was like slapping myself just looking at the mother like please just call someone do something do anything you're just yeah. like i'll just put it off it's fine yeah and I, then the care oh go ahead 
Yeah, um, I think that a major reason for that was to show the patriarchal dominance in, oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the 1950s nuclear oh. uh, suburban household. Um, yeah, but it, it still just killed me. Just oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then you've got um, Wally, who, you know, the guy who, uh, uh, let's be real, fellas, he's a simp. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> definitely. He uh, um, sort of tries to provide a, a equally patriarchal, but like uh, sort of a foil to Ed, her husband's wrath, like a um, a benevolent patriarchal figure to you know bring her out of her misery. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh the pills so what, what did you guys think about um the depiction of of uh the, the drugs in this film it was interesting i like immediately when when they said it was cortisone i was like wait isn't that still a drug being used i believe at the time it was experimental though yeah but still it was it, like i was just kind of like shocked that they that they had made like a movie about like you know how kind of fucked up cortisone can be yeah um, the thing is, I am not entirely convinced that the drugs are meant to be taken literally, especially because, um, I, I read something that, uh, said that Ray originally didn't want any specific drug to be the cause, uh, the cause of the psychosis, but he was kind of forced to, um, have, you know, a drug assigned to this so that, um, the the anxieties during the period would be kind of stifened a little bit what do you guys think about that um it's an interesting point to bring up because you know i i had always in on this first watch i had just kind of taken it very literally that this was just you know psychosis via an overdose of drugs i think um the reason the, the thing that kind of like hinted to me while watching the movie that maybe you're not supposed to take this literally was um, just, just the way that a lot of filmmakers, including Ray kind of subverted the, the Hayes code during his time, because I mean, he couldn't literally say that the nuclear family is like a cancerous, toxic environment because yeah. um, suburban American life was such a, you know, it's like the most prominent way of living back then. Yeah. No, he, he, the, the uses of drugs in the film could very, very well just be like a Trojan horse for him to get in there and say, like, the American family has some problems. Because, uh, and the ending when, you know, he's off the drugs and he kind of hugs his family, I think is equally strange and jarring because mm-hmm. it, it it leaves you with this this feeling that, like, no, every is everything really okay? Yeah. Like, this guy just yeah. tried to kill his whole family. And, yeah. You know, the ending, it's jarring, and I think it adds to sort of the, I don't know, it adds to the, the atmosphere of the film, honestly, because it's almost like, it's almost like... There's, like, a weight in your stomach. You're just, like, you just... Yeah. It, everything's really not going to be okay it, no matter how much they're hugging it's like it, yeah it's after like after all like they've been a, through yeah i know it's like slapping a band-aid on the real situation just like throwing it under the rug that's it's pretty like, uh that's, that's very yeah. funny you bring that up because um a, a lot of films american films from this time period did a similar thing um have you guys seen uh red river by howard hawks 
I not. have not. Okay, so I have not. <laughs> the ending of this film actually really reminded me of that of Red River. So basically, there's a tension throughout the entirety of that film between um, the oncoming of the East um, onto like the Western landscape versus John Wayne's character who represents the West. But at the end of the film, the two characters, which you know, kind of uh, represent these like diametrically opposed um, ideas, just reconcile and become friends again suddenly at the end. Um, and I think this kind of like almost anti-climax is present in a lot of the Hayes Code films because um, instead of, I guess, going the extra mile and then showing how everything is still not really resolved, um, well, since they weren't really able to do that, a lot of directors just chose to focus on um, the jarring nature of these kinds of endings, like Joe said. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it seems like the only Hayes Code films that could get away with super dark endings were film noirs, because that was mm-hmm. kind of an accepted part of the genre that at the end the main character can die or go to jail, or because the whole uh, point of the genre is that every character is a bad person. Right. right. Um, definitely if you're making, uh, like a family drama like this, you couldn't really end with, uh, the father killing the son. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, even today, it'd be pretty, pretty shocking to see a film like that. Uh, yeah. you know, like films that do do things like that are kind of seen as like shock cinema, like mm-hmm. funny games oh, yeah, or the killing sure. of a sacred yeah. deer. And, uh, so this is going to be totally uh, just off topic, but I do want to point out how kind of funny it is that they chose James Mason to play this, like, all-American dad, even though he has, like, this, you know, posh British accent the entire time. Oh, dude, Jace, James Mason's voice in this movie is absolutely hilarious. It is so <laughs> over-the-top because it's, it's, it's a posh British accent, but he's also... He's consciously he's, doing that. He's in that. the Navy. Mm-hmm. He he was yeah. a football star. He was, you know, yeah, it's like... All-American, yeah. man. Yeah. It's like, it's like a learned accent. It's almost like a transatlantic accent. Yeah. It's right. so silly. And the fact that, you know, he like Nick said, has all this all-American football player, Marine stuff, is just makes it even more jarring. Um, It's like... Uh, it actually reminded me of um The Swimmer. Um, which starred Burt Lancaster. It's another. It's another film that was a uh, critique of suburban life, but it stars. Um, it stars Burt Lancaster, who has you John know, Cheever story, right? Right, John Cheever story. Um, and it has the uh, you know Burt Lancaster is very very synonymous with um, you know all Americanness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I found that uh, you know aspect of the film that whole like you know we we kind of talked about it already, but just like the whole like taking a look at america you know as it is you know inspecting you know the problems that do in fact plague the country that maybe we just didn't want to talk about and sweep under the rug at the time it's just like i'm i was just so surprised that a film from the 50s would do something like that yeah i I can only suspect that um nick ray's massive success in um with rebel without a cause the year before sort of gave him the agency to make something more like this you know studios would take a risk on it because the name he'd made for himself because that movie also you know that movie ends pretty shockingly as well Mm -hmm. 
I guess yeah. that that movie doesn't even have a, a happy ending, really, does it? Because, uh, wait, has everybody seen Rebel Without a Cause? Because well, I, don't I know the ending. No. All right. Um, I won't say what happens then, but you know, it's it's not exactly a pretty sight, even though you know. Spoilers James for Dean, a sixty-year-old movie. James Dean, I guess, does get the girl in the end, but with a few uh, few caveats. Yeah, uh, and then. In a Lonely Place is another great Nicholas Ray film. It's a Bogart film noir from 1950, and that's also very dark. It's about an alcoholic, and there really is not a happy ending or resolve there. So uh, the, the guy is a uh, the guy is uh, probably I've, at school. You know, one of my professors called him the most neurotic filmmakers of the 50s, or the <laughs> most neurotic filmmaker of the 50s, and that's probably true at least for America, American filmmakers. I can definitely believe that, even though I've only seen two by him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was curious. What did you guys think about um, the technical aspects of the film? So we touched a bit on the uh, cinematography and the color a little bit. Um, anything uh, else you guys noticed? There's a point noticed? where you see Nicholas Ray in a mirror. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah. He closes a mirror at one point, and you can definitely see a man standing behind him that they never address. Oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's that great scene where... Um, he breaks the mirror yeah hmm. he stares into it you know it's sort of sort of like overt symbolism of like staring at your broken self but it's yeah. it's pretty cool yeah that that scene was pretty good yeah um other scenes that stood out to me do you do you guys have any that you would like to talk um, about i'll think of some i liked how his mania it, it, it was um not only anger, it was also like delirious joy when he took his wife out um, and bought her a bunch of dresses. Yeah. And she was so concerned the whole time, like, oh, I don't think we can afford this. I don't think we can afford this. And he was like, oh, no, buy more, buy more. And he's smoking. And I think he like buys his, he's like, tells his son, like, all right, Junior, we're going to get you the finest bike in town. <laughs> it's a pretty good and, accent, uh, I'm going to say. Uh, it kind of reminds uh, me, I, reminds me of the, uh, like idea keep it within an americana i feel like where people are all legally equal they're all legally equals and um everybody nobody is better than another, another person but then also under that surface is the idea that like people who have money kind of are better and if you have like items and wealth kind of and feel as if you are better than another person and uh ultimately this is Due to, I suppose, the commodification of everything in America and desire to just obtain and obtain and obtain. And maybe it's a critique of materialism. I'm not sure. I definitely yeah. got that sense from the movie. Definitely also a um, critique of American consumerism. I was mm. I was surprised by the, um, the fact that he had uh, two jobs because I feel like I didn't know that that was common then. Yeah, that's right. He does. He does have two jobs. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that was one of the first depictions of, you know, someone working two jobs in American cinema. Absolutely, because, you know, you're supposed to be like, oh, you're you're the leading man of the house. You have this mm. one stable, steady job. You're the you're the you're the pinnacle of, of mankind or whatever, you know? It's... Yeah. But then the reality settles in and, you know, the American dream is kind of uh, a you, lie. Your wife thinks thinks you thinks you're uh, cheating on her and you're actually just, you know, working at a cab stand. Yeah. 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 Um, other technical aspects anybody wants to bring up? Um, 
I really like the use of color. I don't know if we kind of touched on that, but not really. But, uh, you know, I just, you know, the colors are very striking. But yeah, the know, most that, horrifying that's... use of Tacticolor in Cinema, yeah. probably. Everything mm. is so so bright. But obviously the lighting's pretty moody. But everything's, all the colors are so bright. Uh, it's just, like, terrifying still. And, and how about the, the red that flashes over the screen when he bursts into his son's room? That was oh, nuts. Yeah. I had no idea what to think about that. <laughs> the like the open mouth, yeah. There's like, yeah. yeah. You guys saw that too, right? There's like an open mouth in that red. I don't know what yeah. that was all about. That was it was insane. I that whole sequence, like just him completely losing his mind, is just like so good. Yes. Oh yes. I think in general, um, the colors were much darker than other like Cinemascope productions that I've seen. Um, especially, like, in the interiors. There's a lot of, like, blues and browns and stuff, um, which definitely gave it that aspect of horror that Tony talked about before. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, too. Absolutely. This is... It's it's just such, like, a great example of, like, you know, a family drama that's actually, like, a horror movie underneath. And to, like, to pull that pull that off in, you know in the time that he was doing it that's it's really impressive it is it is really impressive indeed because it's uh yeah um any final thoughts um i i think the uh what do we think of the child acting in this film because a lot of times child actors just kind of sound like 10 year olds reading lines but in this film, I'm not gonna say it didn't sound like that, but it works. <laughs> it kind of just it, yeah. It, it, it kind of just landed um, because I kind of just imagine that's how kids from the '50s in suburbia talk. Yeah. And it is. this this scene where he's like, "Hey, Dad, like I don't care if you feel pain when you're not on cortisone. I'd rather you be dead than act like this." Like when he says that, it's a pretty horrifying line to yeah. hear, <laughs> and I I kind of believed it and felt it. Um, so I, I don't know. I thought that line in particular and that, that's that definitely one of the, good. one of the rawest lines I've ever heard a fucking 10 year old speak. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the child actor's voice in this is really rep- reminiscent of other films from this period. But like you said, because of the context of the film, I think it really works well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of, kind of that, like leave it to beaver. Ah, uh, geesh, shucks, jolly willard. Yeah, uh, aw, sh- <laughs> some aw shucks. But then yeah. have your dad and, and trying to stab you. Aw <laughs> shucks, dad, don't stab me. The sort, the sort of aw shucksness of his family adds to the horror because I always thought part of the, the Shining's most uh, terrifying aspect is how like, quaint and cute and and aw shucksy. Um, yeah, how normal his, of a family the, uh, the you know, his wife is, uh, played by Shelley Duvall. She's she's so cute and you know <laughs> suburban, and uh, when he starts you know threatening to kill her, after uh, you know she's like, oh, can I bring you some sandwiches? You're just like Jesus. This is this is <laughs> there's something really dark lurking uh, behind all of this uh, propriety. And you get that throughout the whole film, but you know we could all talk about The Shining forever. But I, I definitely get what you're, you're kind of going towards about you know, yeah, this dark underbelly of yeah, 
America. Yeah. All right. This film um, at all inspired uh, Blue Velvet? I wouldn't be uh, surprised. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, like yeah. the same sort of era, right? Eisenhower era. Mm-hmm. Um, and both both are kind of like showing that there's something weird lurking underneath this uh, pretty facade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe I... maybe like particular, uh, not not like super closely, but like particularly thinking about like the first scene in Blue Velvet where uh, you know the fire truck and the the white picket fence are depicted, and then they go into the grass, and this man falls over, and then they zoom in on the. Uh, on the uh, grass and show the like gross insects. And I feel like, in a way, this film was showing like a gross underbelly of that same suburban, but like uh, obviously from the 1950s perspective. So it's not like it can't go as deep. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense because um, that's the environment that Lynch grew up in. Mm. So a lot of his work tends to uh, revolve around suburbia and critiques of suburbia. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, anybody want to bring anything else up, or are we uh, we good to move on to the news? I'm good to move on to the news. Let's move on to the news. All righty. Um, I'll start off with this first one because it's just it's it's fucking bewildering. Matt Reeves' Batman trilogy may introduce another Joker. What are you guys? You guys, you guys ready for another interpretation of the Joker? Like immediately. Well. What, were there ever talks that Joaquin would come into this film, or was that always? I think the they. It, it's funny. I read the article and it said they asked Joaquin. He said no. They never asked Jared Leto. <laughs> oh, that's, that, that's funny. I, I just feel like it, you know they're in a tough spot because one, it's you got to have the ultimate Batman villain in a Batman movie, yeah. but a uh, very art instantly like iconic Joker has just been you know created with Joaquin and Todd Phillips and uh, it'd be pretty pretty ridiculous to already slap another one into like the pop culture consciousness. Especially because I've heard that this uh, Batman, like the first one, uh, is already going to have like 2,000 villains in it, right? Yeah, well, it'll, I think <laughs> it has like too. I think it has like four or something. Yeah, that, but, I mean, like, that's already them, excessive. Most yeah, of them I aren't did playing a huge role i think it's paul dano's riddler that's going to be the the biggest villain but um classic yeah i i think what they said is that they'll they'll hint at him i think in this first movie but not show him but i if this is i don't know what exactly this is supposed to be because that because the whole dceu just going off the fucking rails but from what i understand this might be a young bat flick so, I hate that. Wait, it's the same universe as like Batman versus Superman. I, it might be. Yeah, I, I don't. Not. I don't know. I, they've, I, I, they've just kind of made this whole thing just very confusing. If I'm, um, if I'm gonna be real, I'm so like fucking burnt out on Batman movies. I just don't care anymore. I just, yeah. want, like, good, I just want good Batman movies. Yeah, like, but we already got three. We already got three though. Uh, uh, well, I'm this not, one not, they not, they. They did say this would be a more of a detective story than any other Batman movie, so I think I'm excited about that aspect at least. Well, this is yeah. Yeah. I think, like, I think if they could like successfully do some sort of cross, like a uh, similar cross between uh, the Burton Batman and then the Nolan Batman, and just have like the grit, but then also retain some of the cartoonishness of the, the Burton Batman, I'd be really happy. That just sounds like a Marvel movie, though. 
no, my Marvel movies. I think I think this will. I think this whole thing is. I think there is a distinct possibility that we might get an R-rated Batman movie out of this. I. It's not. You know. Wait, I thought it was supposed to be rated R already. I do have my doubts, but. yeah. Did did they say it might be R-rated? I have no idea. But I mean, uh, I don't know if it'll be a really good idea because the target audience for this is not adults, you know? Yeah, I guess so. But uh, I'll, I'll put my faith in, in Matt Reeves, you know? His yeah, Planet I mean, of the Apes movies didn't really do me wrong, so. If you're making like a $100 million, $200 million superhero movie, you probably don't want to make it rated R. The reason why Joker worked was because it was like a mid-budget film, but also um, it had all this hype around it as well. Yeah, uh, it, it is kind of you know funny. Joker, without the the same exact story, without the comic book lore attached to it, would have made you know a tenth of the money that it did. Oh yeah, I mean the especially same because exact it, story. Especially because we've seen that story like three times in Martin Scorsese productions. <laughs> Yeah, of course, King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, if so, I have a question though. If uh, who who would you want to play Joker if we Heath Ledger, another fucking Joker? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. That is a good, is a great question. Fucking oh, oh it, Paul Dano. It, <laughs> it he's pulling double duty. It's hard to think of anyone after that Joaquin performance. Yeah. Um, but let, let me let me think for a second. Oh, here. I've seen this uh, seen this online before. Uh, Willem Dafoe. <laughs> that oh yeah. I, yeah. I might I might see that, but I feel like Willem Dafoe should just play every like Batman villain. Yeah. <laughs> He'd be he might be a good Mister Freeze if they ever decide to do him. Bring Arnold back. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What what about like? What if like Edward Norton played the Joker? You know what? <laughs> You know what? Go for it, buddy. If Edward Norton wants to play the Joker, who am I to stop him? He's definitely as annoying as the Joker. Yeah, he he, he has a Jokery voice. That's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys want to move on to the next piece? Sure. Yeah. Um. So HBO Max has pulled Gone with the Wind from its service. Thank but God that movie sucks. Re- but says it'll return at a later date. Oh, never mind. It'll was... it'll be like. There is there is cultural stuff in this that isn't really. Is there really know, an audience for that movie anymore? I feel like oh, boomers. No, yes, there I, is. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I was reading about it because I saw it was on your newswire. Gone with the Wind was the it got pulled because it was the highest uh, most popular movie on HBO Max since these riots started. So people were flocking to this movie. And HBO, you know, we're kind of saying, well, this movie's ahistorical and racist, so this isn't the best thing to be watching right now. And now Gone with the Wind is the number one movie on Amazon, still on Amazon. <laughs> That's really so funny. Is, oh, my God. This is really weird, and this is, like, coming out of the so woodwork. I, I would have thought that it, see it You don't have to. Yeah. Sorry, go What's ahead. What going to say? Yeah. No, I, I was gonna say I would have I would have said the same thing before I read that. Um, that what is the audience for Gone with the Wind in 2020? But there is there's still a very strong one. Yeah, I mean it makes sense because of the um the big you know political and cultural divide in this country yeah. right now. I mean I'd I, um I'd like to watch it once, just to you know just to know. But I you know with all that is going on, I think it was a good idea to uh, pull it. 
I don't yeah, really see why they needed to pull it. I mean, uh, they could have just like, like why did they said like they were gonna add a disclaimer, right? Yeah. Why yeah. do you need to like pull it to do that? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know. That takes like what, I like just, ten seconds. I, in Photoshop? It's just like a political action that HBO wants to like, you know, probably maintain their reputation and things yeah, like that. Yeah, it seems like that, and it's, it's a very strange political action. I don't know. Let's let's just hope um, Birth of a Nation doesn't have a sudden resurgence in popularity. <laughs> <laughs> Is that available anywhere though? Oh uh, man. Well, let, that's let not a very available oh you know what no birth of a nation is free on youtube yeah public domain right. yeah. So you can find it anywhere <laughs> still gotta watch it all right well um um but to speak on the the earlier point about um gone with the wind having an audience i went to see it about a year ago in theaters and it was packed man like it was mm. it was packed i remember this one woman stood up after the movie was over and she said um now that's a film <laughs> That is, Maryland I wouldn't. I wouldn't even do that at a screening of Alien. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think imagine I would do that being, in any movie. Imagine being so attached to Gone with the Wind. I mean, it makes sense for I mean, a lot I of guess. reasons, a lot of cultural reasons, but also, yeah, it's a little cringe. Not gonna lie. Yeah, I I know someone's grandmother whose uh, favorite movie I think is um, Song of the South. And it just makes me chuckle every time I think about it. We should watch that next for our uh, we next should. episode. Yeah. We should. We should. Honestly. Song I'm, of the I'm South. Man. Triple feature. That's hard to find. Song of the South, Birth we of a Nation, and Gone with the Wind. <laughs> oh shit. Just ro roast, roast the shit out of all of them. I mean, it, you know what? Them taking it, taking it down and putting it back up is a lot better than Disney Plus just not having Song of the South available at all. Right. Yeah. Or like, uh, or, or that, editing. That, 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 and that makes so. sense. I, I think. I think it's best to leave some things in the past. I I guess I guess I could see that point, but still, I just you know, media. Um, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that, Tony, but I can see your point. Um, I think I think the what, what they should have done here, and something that Disney Plus should have done too, is just put the disclaimer. I think Disney Plus like censored a bunch of stuff from their older movies, right? Yeah, I thought that was pretty bad to like try to edit old movies. Yeah, that's you know, off as sense. one thing thing but uh editing and then putting things back up that i think is is like defacement yeah it's very dishonest what is uh right. next on the list uh i don't know what what we might have to say about it but uh denise cronenberg has uh passed away at 81 she i guess she was the uh costume designer for a lot of uh cronenberg's work mm -hmm. interesting. oh yeah, the, the costumes in Red ringers are probably the only redeeming quality of that <laughs> film. Uh, the the like surgeons dressed up like some sort of strange like nun spiritual leader in red, and it was really really interesting visually. Really how, boring. How, how, uh, how is she related to David Cronenberg? Uh, she's his sister. sister. Okay. Uh, I, and then, um, yeah. She's also worked on The Fly, Naked Lunch. Um, crash, the good crash, not the, the good not crash. the Oscar winning crash, <laughs> um, and uh, a bunch of other Cronenberg classics. So I mean, you got to give it to her. Dude, the look of Seth Brundle is iconic. Seth I, know, I know she didn't do the the makeup, but I mean, still, Jeff Goldblum just looked fucking snazzy in that movie as a normal man. Oh, I know, dude. He was very debonair. Oh my god. Debonair in real life too. Debonair in real life too. Man gets all the ladies. That man. I love yeah. that man. 
Gotta love them. Fellas, do we dare talk about the last days of American crime? What, yes. So wait, what is this? <laughs> I have no clue what this is. It's a Netflix movie that just came out, and it, like, immediately everybody was like, this is the worst thing ever. I think I saw... one, re one review was quoted as saying, like, it should be illegal to make a movie this bad. We should watch it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Yeah, so it's it's among, like, 50 or so other movies that have gotten the coveted award of 0%. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Apparently, it's just, like, a really slow, distasteful, uh, dystopian film. And when I heard it was crushingly slow, I was like, oh, is this a misunderstood art house film? <laughs> but I actually think it's... I actually think it's just like a, like a gross. I, I have not seen it, but I just think it's just like a gross, uh, gross film. <laughs> I don't know. Hey man, the last overly long, slow Netflix film I watched was really good, The Irishman. Hey, that's it wasn't overly long, and it honestly wasn't even that slow. I agree. Have you have you guys seen a uh, zero percent movie? I saw a thousand words. Think. Pull up theaters. the list. I need to see the list. I have I've seen one, and that that being Jaws: The Revenge. Oh man! But okay, I'll, I just pulled uh, up the Wikipedia page. Send the link real quick. All right, so oh, that everybody man. else can see this shit. There's a few of these that I've thought about watching for the meme. I haven't seen any of them, but I've thought about <laughs> watching Gotti for the meme. Oh my god, we need to watch. We Gotti. started we started watching Gotti, and we were like, we. Can't we just we just we couldn't finish it um yeah there are uh i mean i've heard of some of these but like yeah. a lot of them are like you know you have to find them it, i've always well, wanted to watch mac and me just for the meme oh yeah what's his name conan paul rudd yeah <laughs> he, he always shows the clip on conan and then oh, there's no, there's um Roberto Benini's Pinocchio, which he made after you know he got big with Life Is Beautiful, uh -oh. and, and it's just like a weird ass live action Pinocchio film starring himself. <laughs> uh, and God. it's you know it was an it was an Italian film, and an English dub came out in the U.S. and it was critically panned. So what? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off on a tangent here. So is is uh, is Life Is Beautiful? Is Life is Beautiful supposed to be good? Because I, I get a lot of mixed signals about that movie. Have you not seen it? I have not. Well, I haven't either, but it is one of those foreign films that, like, has, uh, that a lot of people uh, outside of its native country have seen. Uh, so people who don't know film that well often, like, cling to it, it seems, but I haven't seen it. Hmm. I haven't seen it either, but it doesn't really That's look probably right. So highly rated on IMDb. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. most films on <laughs> the IMDb top two fifty aren't very good. Yeah. I'm um, pretty. Oh, what were you gonna say? Oh, nothing. All right. Um, I guess uh, the last two pieces. Um, we'll go with this. This one first. Bill and Ted trailer. Has anybody seen any other Bill and Ted movies? Yes, I have. What it, uh, did you see the trailer? I didn't see the trailer, but I'll, I'll pull it up right now. Watch it silently. <laughs> <laughs> so it's an interesting looking film. I've I've actually never finished the first one, but recently um, on Friday, actually, I watched uh, the second one, and I think I liked the second one a lot more than I liked the first. 
Wait, you watched um, the second one without finishing the first one? Yeah, nice. I got, you know, the last thing I remember about the first Bill and Ted was that they brought Napoleon to Waterloo Water Park, and I was like, all right, I'm done. No, this is 290s, <laughs> I can't do this. Dude, I remember that scene. Like, I haven't really seen them since I was a kid, but I remember that being a great scene, taking Napoleon to a water park. Such a fucking meme, dude, holy shit. The only reason I, I'm interested in Bill and Ted 2 is because he said that it's like a parody of the Seventh Seal. It kind oh, of is. Yeah. It's funny. It's it's um their death looks a lot like the death that's depicted in the Seventh Seal. Hmm. And they play fucking battleship and clue with him. Nice. Oh yeah. my god, I'm watching this new trailer and there's a there's a de the death reappears. Yeah. So this, is, this is this is like a music themed Bill and Ted. Yeah, so I guess they they go into the future to uh, when they've already written the song that's supposed to save the world, and they just steal it from themselves. That's, that's pretty sick. Yeah, it's, it's um, I don't know. These these movies are just, like, goofy and 90s as shit, and I just, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's bring back the uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Dude, uh, Keanu, I think Keanu. it's possible. Oh, I, I, I really was a big fan of the, um, the Universal show. Those were fun. Yeah, but dude, Keanu looks like fucking Alan Rickman in this trailer. Yeah, he kind of <laughs> does. He looks like Snape. You know what's funny? He doesn't. He doesn't really seem like he ages. But my God, has his voice changed since those first few movies? Oh uh, yeah. How old is he now? He's like fifty. Uh, probably about. Which hmm. is funny because he decided to be in a video game. But speaking of um, Reeves, is there any news on new Matrix films? Um. I think the last thing we really heard is that they just paused production because of you know COVID and all that. So they were making them, okay. Yeah, they were they were in the middle of production before they um they had to stop. I heard that they I, they like paused the production of John Wick to finish the Matrix. I think. Yeah, so they're they're putting John Wick four off for a little bit, and then they're gonna they're gonna finish the Matrix first. I was in San Francisco uh, in February, and there were constant police sirens going off. Nice. And there was a notice in my area that scenes for The Matrix 4 were being filmed, and that certain areas were closed off, and that many of the sirens that we're hearing are actually a part of the film. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You didn't get any peek, though? I didn't get a peek. Well, apparently, uh, and, but I did, I did see, meet someone uh, who said that they saw Keanu walking around because it was, it was one of the streetcar drivers. He was like, I saw Keanu Reeves. He was on my car a few nights ago. They're shooting the Matrix 4 around here. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool. Wholesome Keanu Chungus 100, boys. We is it, it, yeah. is it only it. one of the Wachowskis directing this one? Yeah, I think it's... It's gotta be both. Yeah, that's, no, it's only one of them. It's kind of weird. I, I don't know if I like that. I, I, I wish well, they, they would work together. Yeah. I, I do want to ask you, do you think they're going to replace the A in Matrix with the 4? I hope not. Uh, better. That's a very like <laughs> early 2000s thing. Um. Oh no, it's Lana. Okay. I don't know why they split up. That that kind of that kind of does worry me a little bit. But you know, if, if one of them doesn't doesn't want to do it, then like don't. I mean, basically done in between. They did. They did some stuff. They did like that that Netflix series, Sensate, recently. Yeah, which I've I've heard was like it's good, but it's like it takes a little bit to get going. I mean, Man. the if we're going by the track records of the other Matrix sequels, um, not sure what to think about this one. 
Well, this one has had a long time to uh, digest, so hopefully that's the key, is just, you know, giving it time, working it out. Does this uh, mean I have to watch Matrix 3? Does this mean I have to watch Matrix 2 and 3? Because <laughs> I've only ever seen the first, because I was like, I don't really know if I want to put myself through these other ones. Um, yeah, but, you know, hopefully it's not another Jupiter Ascending. That's the only thing we can pray for. Oh, yeah, they did that one, too. Anybody know if Morpheus is going to be back? No, he's not. What's the That's point? What, bro, I'm just waiting on Tomorrowland, too. Hell, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> dude, honestly. Um, And then, I don't know if anybody else cares about this, but I'm very excited about this. Uh, the Event Horizon uh, release from Scream Factory, which is trying to find the... Uh, deleted scenes that were like supposed to, supposedly like super intense but they got cut out what's so the, what's what's what, the, what's event horizon uh event horizon is um a paul ws anderson movie Bruh. from i think 1995 ish thereabouts um and it's it's about it's kind of like hellraiser in space in a way is is one way to put it um it's an interesting film it's uh you know if you're into sci-fi horror you'll like it but i don't know you might not if you're not really so i you know they've been searching for this lost footage for like since it came out and everybody really wants to see it who's like a big fan of this movie so i hope they find it i hope uh, all that happens i've always said anything with kathleen quinlan I don't even know who Kathleen Quinlan is. <laughs> well, she's in Event Horizon. Damn. <laughs> I didn't even know this. Um, is that it for the news? Uh, unless anybody else wants to say anything about it. Holy shit, this cast is fucking stacked for The Matrix 4. Uh, what's it looking like? Uh, I don't know. It's a lot of like specific character actors, but I, I like a lot of them. Uh, Jessica Henwick, who is, uh, she was in Iron Fist at one point, but she's, like, one of the good characters on that show. Um, Jonathan Groff, who is, um, he did, uh, Mindhunter. He's the Holt. Uh, oh, nice. uh, Neil Patrick Harris is gonna be in this movie, which I didn't know. Lemony Snicket face ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I can never pronounce this man's name. Yahya Abdul-Mantin II. Uh, he he played Doctor Manhattan on uh, Watchmen. Oh okay. Ah. Yeah, uh, and then Jada Plinkett Smith and Priyanka Chopra, Nick Jonas, and of course, wife, or one of the Jonas's wife, Keanu Reeves, and of course Keanu Reeves. Wait, and he's Terry gonna be. Moss. He's Keanu Reeves gonna be in this movie? In Matrix Four? Yeah. Damn. Keanu Reeves and Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is a wholesome chungus. Wholesome he chungus, one hundred. He, he's a Reddit chonker. <laughs> he's a fucking chonker. Does anybody have like uh, any other uh, shit they want to put out there? Anybody want to talk about anything? I'm. Uh, I'll. I'll throw this as a little side note. I'm super excited about the drive-ins of Evil Dead happening. Oh, where are those happening? Uh, they're just going to be happening. <laughs> No, across the country, it says. So. Dude, I want to go to a drive-in. I've never been to one before. Yeah. 
And I'm especially, not... especially if it's Evil Dead, like that's the perfect movie to do for a drive-in. Oh yeah, dude, the Evil Deads are fucking perfect for that. We we watched uh, all of them recently, and uh, Army of Darkness is still my favorite <laughs> Evil Dead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've the seen the trilogy. I've seen the trilogy multiple times throughout the years. They're always fucking great fun. Uh, super hot take. Um, I think Evil Dead Two might be the worst of that series. <laughs> I kind of agree. Yep. Uh, Evil Evil Dead Two is is like it's sick and it's probably like I don't know. I just feel like the silly the the first one is the, the first most one's... atmospheric and scary. Yeah, the and first then... one's atmospheric and scary. The 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 second one's kind of it it strikes this in the in the middle that like doesn't really yeah. work. And then Army of Darkness is like full silly. So it's yeah, like... exactly, exactly. That's what that's what I was gonna say. I, I yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 Army of Darkness is funnier and sillier, and just I don't know. Oh my god! That, and the, that the, whole the irony movie... of that is, Evil Dead Two is easily the most acclaimed. I know. Which I never like... really understood that either, because I definitely think that the my favorite's definitely Army of Darkness. Yeah, I I just love how the last like forty minutes of that movie is just pure skeleton puns. Yeah, <laughs> that's just like the fact that that Sam Raimi went to Universal and was like. Give me money to make skeleton puns the movie. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, so generally at the end of the news, we like to talk about like what kind of like media we're consuming right now. So like, have you been going through like a director's filmography? Are you reading something? Are you listening Ooh. to something? Um, Tony uh, oh, and I yeah. Let's, let's start with Joe. Been consuming something. Tony, I I can speak. Uh, I'll speak for, for what I've been doing, but also something me and Tony have been doing, which is Lone Wolf and Cub. Have you guys heard of that series? Oh, shit. I have the first one, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, so it's a sixth movie. It's so good. It's a, uh, are you familiar, Duran? I'm familiar, yeah. I haven't seen them either, yeah, though. It's a, you know, six uh, Japanese movies, splatter fl- films about a rogue samurai and his son. There's uh, We're foreign, and um, we plan on watching the fifth one tonight. Uh, maybe the fifth and sixth. We'll see how much time we have, but um, it's been quite the ride, and they are very. It's a very consistent series, full of flashy, badass action, splattering heads left and right, uh, amazing one-liners, uh, and <laughs> poetry. Very, it's in poetry. Poetry, poetry, and um, the lead character is very stoic and repeatedly tells his enemies, "I am on the demon way to hell." <laughs> So that sounds fucking awesome. I was I was really interested after the Mandalorian. Oh yeah, yeah. And it, then it I... made, you can actually you can actually see uh, references even in like shots and stuff, even in the cinematography to Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah. Awesome. Um, one other thing I want to plug is um, Kelly Reichardt. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten into her I work, feel like but I have. Wait, what what has she done? Um. Wendy and Lucy, Old Joy, Meeks Cut Off, Certain Women. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. film, First Cow, which uh, kind of came out right when Corona struck, so that didn't get much many uh, eyes on it. But Wendy and Lucy and Old Joy are two very short, excellent films. They're both 80 minutes or, or shorter. I think Old Joy is like 70 minutes. They're on the Criterion channel. And hey, oh, Miami nice. girl. Yeah, she's from Miami. And um, <laughs> these are just micro budget gems uh about people who are lost in america and they are charming and sad and kind of just really comfy in a way 
and I highly recommend for when you're it's 11 or 12 and you're alone and you just kind of want to relax and put on a film. Who can say no to a woman who was nominated for the Independent Spirit John Cassavetes Award? Exactly. That's cool. I saw um, Meek's cutoff for class, actually. I really like that one. So I'll have to check out some of our other stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Tony, Um, you've been reading watching yeah. listening watching uh been watching as I, as joe said lone wolf and cub and then with my brother i've been watching slowly cowboy bebop for the first nice. time nice so oh. that's, that's really fun love cowboy bebop i i still have three episodes to go i've been watching the <laughs> series for like three years i just never finished for some reason <laughs> Wait, Tony, yeah. how far in are you? I didn't know you were watching. Uh, five episodes in right now. And when did you start into it? Then? Uh, a couple weeks ago. Just uh, going slowly. But it's uh, yeah, the first few episodes are just kind of okay, and I wasn't really sure where the series was going after they introduced more of the characters and uh, yeah, like a, a more, a more like depth and plot. I was really impressed and thought that I, I would really enjoy the series. That's what I really like about it is how like each episode they're like slowly introducing the cast. Hmm. I love the music. That's definitely the highlight for me. Oh my god. Thank god he's coming back to do the Netflix series, because at least something about that will be good, guaranteed. Dude, John Cho Netflix series? Lit. Yeah, they're doing a live-action Yeah, they're making series. a live-action Cowboy Bebop series. Interesting. They're doing that with Avatar, too. Yeah. Oh god, are they? Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm hopeful about the Avatar thing, though, because they're doing it with the actual original creators of the show. Hmm. So, at least some level of authenticity will be maintained. Bro, I'm still waiting for um, the guy that did um, Cowboy Bebop, the director of that, said he was going to do like a um, a Blade Runner anime show, and that still hasn't um, really, nothing has come out of that yet, so. Love that. Probably, still, it's waiting. probably not going to happen. Yeah, probably because not. Because the, the failure that was 2049. What do you mean, dude? It made so much money. This Blade Runner. Never mind. You can go. Blade oh. Runner anime and Cowboy Bebop live action. This is cultural Marxism. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Duran, what have uh, you been doing? Or Tony, are you done? Sorry, I'm I don't done. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> um, been watching a couple movies. Hasn't really been consistent for like a specific director, but um, I'm a big fan of uh, Charles Burnett. So I was really happy when Criterion released a bunch of his films and short films um, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. So. Um, one that I was looking forward to watching for a long time, um, My Brother's Wedding. They posted mm. on um, their website. So that was pretty interesting. Um, it's a really, really interesting experiment with, like, literally zero budget. And the fact that he was able to um, uh, convey these, like, pretty, like, interesting themes about um, uh, family and um, the difficulty of um, black Americans, I, I, thought, I thought it was really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. I also watched um, Autumn Sonata, which is now one of my favorite Bergmans, and I definitely didn't cry at the end. <laughs> and I also watched uh, Crooklyn by Spike Lee, because I'm trying to catch up on some of his stuff before we inevitably watch The Five Bloods. Cool. Cool. Autumn yeah. Sonata is really impressive. Uh, I, I, was, I was shocked. Well, I guess I wasn't really shocked, because this, this isn't a lot of broken films, but he just... Is one of the few male directors I think can actually capture um, almost uniquely female uh, experiences with a degree of authenticity, or at least to my 
male sense is a degree of authenticity, perhaps <laughs> a, a female critic would be able to go further, but uh, just that that mother and daughter relationship and shortcomings and anger. Certainly, so yeah. So impressive. Definitely, and just like in general, just like the parent-child relationship, I think mm. was covered with such authenticity that it really caught me off guard. Um, I had like a very large mm-hmm. emotional reaction to that film. Definitely. Uh, um, one, one little thing, uh, since you mentioned Charles Burnett, and a great contemporary of his is Billy Woodbury, and um, on the Criterion channel now, uh, there's a restored Bless Their Little Hearts, which is an absolutely stunning L.A. Rebellion film uh, from the 70s, independent to the bone. And I think you'd be a huge fan if you're a, if you like Charles Burnett. Bless their little hearts is called. Mm-hmm. Bless their little hearts. Sounds good. I definitely need to check out more of the LA Rebellion stuff. I think I've really only watched stuff from Burnett. So uh, thanks mm-hmm. for the suggestion. Sounds yeah. Awesome. Uh, I myself have. Um, I haven't done much. I you know continuing to read American Psycho. Um, I like I said I watched Bill and Ted, but I started watching Community because uh, you know, with all that's going on in the world, I just kind of want to laugh right now. Of course. But that show is really good. It's a lot, you know. Like, I honest, it's better than I thought it would be. Yeah. Many years ago, but I loved it when I did yeah. see it. I need so to, I I by the by the kings of cinema, the Russo brothers. Fellas, are we watching the King of Staten Island? What Bitch, even is maybe. That? I just want to be a firefighter like my dad. Like yeah. Bill Burr. <laughs> if Bill if Bill Burr was your bald handlebar mustache firefighter dad, that'd be pretty cool. I'd come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Um, are you guys uh, ready to wrap it up? Yeah, this yeah. was great. And uh, we'll be meeting again soon for a brighter summer day, right? Yes. We will, we will. Thank you, awesome. um, right. Joe. So thank you, th- Tony, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Deron. Thank for joining us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so thank you all for listening, and I uh, hope you have a great day. You too. <laughs> Good night. Hey. Good night.